0: Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats in Witch Hats It's Katie and Izzy And, uh, well, we're starting Christmas a little early
1: <laughs> Yeah, oh My
0: goodness <laughs> Connor
1: must be home So vicious And so a good guard dog Sorry, I'm gonna wait till she's done <laughs> You're fine Hey! Hush! Anna! Uh, what? Relax! Okay. Yeah, we thought we'd just skip right over Thanksgiving and go straight to Christmas like all the rest of the places.
0: I watched a really weird Thanksgiving movie for a Friendsgiving on the Friday after Thanksgiving called Pilgrim. <laughs> and it was weird. Was it like,
1: it was good weird or...
0: Uh, We were anticipating it to be, like, super, super bad. Um, But it wasn't, like, the worst acting and filming in the world, but, like, definitely not even a B-rated movie. But it's a Hulu original, and it was pretty entertaining. (laughs) So if you want to watch a dumb uh, Thanksgiving movie, uh, Pilgrim on Hulu.
1: And is it, like, a suspense or... Slasher horror.
0: No, it's it's um it's supposed to be horror. Um, <laughs>
1: supposed to be. <laughs>
0: suppo- supposed to be horror. Um. Uh, no Hulu. That's what I want. There we go. Uh. <laughs> so this it's like this rich woman basically invites these uh reenactor. Actors to um, produce an authentic first Thanksgiving with her family, but it takes a super unexpected turns. Things go dark. It's weird. <laughs> um, actors refuse to break character, and it, it's just really weird. It's it's weird. Fair enough. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's a Utu- it's a Hulu original. They're they're a hit and a miss sometimes.
1: And on that note, our movie for this week. The reason we kind of skipped over Thanksgiving is because we got a listener request, and this comes from Instagram follower Mickey underscore Rose, I believe, who also was our winner. So thank you for participating. And. Ooh he requested that we do silent night deadly night and it's a sequel he says that he watches it every year because it's so bad that it's good <laughs> and i can agree with most of that statement
0: my uh my friends own it so we watched it in blu-ray which is the weirdest weirdest thing in the world because like parts of the frames from being like really like decent shot at like filmed images to being kind of like really rough and that's when you know like the cinematic CGI kind of stuff is going to happen Um, all thanks to Blu-ray, re- Blu-ray recreating it
1: so we've been watching the grim adventures of Bill and Man- Billy and Mandy on HBO sorry my mom is calling me what an interesting ringtone. Anyways. Um, she. Nope. That's not what I was going for. Now I'm just thinking about your mom. Uh, I have her pumpkin pie recipe. Oh, it was so good. It's my favorite. But anyways. for They made that for Thanksgiving
0: for the, everything. Anyways.
1: The Grim Adventures of Bill and Mandy. It's the same way because they've updated it for like fancier TVs. So it'll go from being clear to just like really fuzzy. It's obnoxious. But Silent Night, Deadly Night came out in 1984 and it came out the same day as The Nightmare on Elm Street. Huh. It was also competing with Gremlins, Ghostbusters, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. But not really, I guess, and like we said, Nightmare on Elm Street we'll get into the details later but it was not received well uh, basically it was shut down before it even came out <laughs> which is so unfortunate um but
0: yeah <laughs>
1: what's well, new so i watched it for free on some obscure <laughs> website i think it was like movie one two three or something no oh. uh that was the only place i could find it so
0: I was lucky my friends decided to own it because they love this terrible movie. It's definitely apparently this is a it's a terrible movie to love apparently. It's a it's got
1: a it's like a cult classic okay, yeah, for yeah. being bad. But I don't know how else to put that. I
0: think uh, that's fair. Yeah.
1: It was I'm trying to think of another movie that that's where it's like it's so good it's bad. Or It's So Bad It's Good. But I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. But we'll try and think of one. Anyway, it was directed by Charles E. Sellier Jr., who was the creator of the hit TV series Grizzly Adams. He then went on to create his own production company called Grizzly Adams Productions, which has produced 300 give or take titles of films and television series. On the main site for this page, this made me giggle. That's the only reason I included it. It says the Grizzly Adams Library, which I guess is what they call all of his crap, has established a solid reputation for delivering quality family films, which can be enjoyed by all ages. Many titles in the library also convey a spiritual message for faith-based audiences and carry the coveted Dove seal of approval for family viewing. Mm. This movie is everything that that is not saying. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Um, It is kind of anti-faith. It is not for family viewing. Um he must have found Jesus after making this film. The other films he has on his repertoire include like a lot of Mormon stories. Um he I guess started out Catholic, switched to being the of the Mormon faith, the Latter-day Saints. And then became a Christian or Evangelical Christian later in life. So, he did a lot of soul searching, I guess. Hmm. In addition to having a lot of, like, VeggieTales-type movies, he has a lot of, like, mystery and conspiracy movie documentary-type things under his repertoire. Uh, He's got ones about UFOs, the Bermuda Triangle, psychics, the Roanoke Colony, and then Crop Circles. So he's kind of all over the faith, all over the place. I've always
0: been so curious about the Roanoke colonies and everything like that. And so, you know, I get that curiosity. It's cool.
1: (laughs) He's just very, like, all over with his spirituality, which is good. It's good to, like, have questions. Mm -hmm. His Grizzly Adams... Whoa, dog. (laughs) His Grizzly Adams series... Uh, was a production of Park City, Utah-based Sun Classic Pictures. A lot of his work is done in Utah. He lived there for a long time.
0: Shout out to the hometown.
1: He also did a TV movie called uh, The Donner Pass, The Road to Survival in 1978, which I don't know how big it is to know everywhere else, but in Utah, we all know the Donner Party as the cannibalistic party. Thank you. Hey, Mom. Hey, buddy. In 1980, he also did The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, the TV movie. It was filmed in Utah and starred Jeff Goldblum as Ichabod Crane. Uh, He was nominated for an Emmy for that.
0: Oh, and he died on my birthday. That's lovely.
1: He died in January two thousand eleven at the age of sixty-seven. And the Salt Lake Tribune actually ran like a obituary article about him because like I said, a lot of his stuff was in Utah. I don't know what he died of. I want to say it was like a heart thing. But I don't well,
0: know. Happy death day on my birthday, bud. <laughs>
1: And the writers for this show. So it will say like based on a story by Paul. I think it's Kami or Kaimi. I don't know.
0: That's that's what I would guess.
1: Um, it says at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, a lot of people are online. Sometimes it will say that it's based off a book called Sleigh Ride. But There's no book. Uh, It was actually a script that Paul had written while he was in Harvard. Or, like, at school in Harvard or something. And this is basically what happened. So, um, on HalloweenLove.com, I found an interview with uh, Scott Schneed, who was one of the producers of this movie. He said the... Script for the that Paul had written was titled "He Sees You When You're Sleeping," and <laughs> uh, Scott Schneid, I guess, went to Harvard or whatever school this was, uh, so he, you know what, I, I already wrote it down, so I'm just gonna keep reading. Okay, um, blah, 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 blah. okay. So, So then in another interview with MoviesDeath.com, Scott Schneed said, I was a Harvard grad working and I had gotten a phone call from Paul, who I didn't know, but he was a senior and had gotten my number as an alumnus. He called me up in Los Angeles and said, hey, I wrote a script called He Sees You When You're Sleeping. Would you like to read it? And so I said, sure. He sent it. It was like 71 pages and it was awful. He said it was amateurish. And there's absolutely nothing in the script that I liked other than that one sentence idea of someone in a Santa suit killing people. Lovely. Yeah, I'm like, ouch. But also, this guy made money off of it, so yay. He bought the rights, just, you know, so he wouldn't get in trouble. They had the working title of Slay Ride, which is where that came from. And then it eventually got rewritten to be Silent Night, Deadly Night. And thus... That is how we got this and then this the script we know was written by michael hickey who didn't have anything else that i really cared about right and for the rest of this episode we're doing things a little differently um normally we do a brief sy- a brief fish synopsis and then we just kind of jump around from there um I've been told that that's not great for storytelling and that's just how my brain works. So, I'm trying something different this time. Let us know if you but, like it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, we need to, we need to know your input here.
1: Uh warning before you watch this movie there are a lot of boobs and women violence and murder. Obviously. Obviously. Yeah, good timing. The, time. the yeah. murders in this are great, though. I I did appreciate the way the creativeness. I guess I don't know. Anyway, I
0: they weren't funny.
1: We'll get there. <laughs> uh, so it starts out Christmas Eve, nineteen seventy-one, in Bartlettsville. I think it's in Indiana. And sure. you are introduced to parents ellie and jim chapman driving their baby ricky who's maybe like six months i don't know and a young billy chapman age five they are driving to visit grandpa who is in a nursing home slash sanitarium mm-hmm. and i guess they got there at four thirty p.m is what i learned okay uh the mom ellie is played by tara buckman she is known for freddie's nightmare the 1990 24 series tv series sorry four series my brain was on numbers it went with it <laughs> Cool. and then geoff hansen played jim chapman the dad he was in don't look under the bed in 1999 which was filmed in utah i think i said that earlier like, in an old episode, but I forgot it. So I rewrote it, and then I was like, oh, wait, maybe I've said that already. But either way.
0: I love that movie, nevertheless. I,
1: I haven't watched it since I was a kid because it scared me so bad. I'm like, oh. it's,
0: on, it's on Disney+, Plus, man. It's one of the ones that I love watching. But I
1: know. Anyways, I need to. Just so good. I think it was filmed at a high school. Like, parts of it were filmed at a high school in Ogden or Provo, something like that. I don't know. Uh, But... Mr. Hansen also directed an independent documentary and he did dinner theater in Salt Lake City. He was basically born and raised there. He also died there at the age of 63 in 2015. He was an acting coach in Salt Lake. And basically, yeah, he's a Salt Lake City person through and through.
0: Utah. Huge.
1: <laughs> and that's only important because this movie, which we'll talk about later as well, was filmed in Utah, which is why a bunch of these people are in and around Utah and why that keeps coming up as a theme. Uh, Jonathan Best, who plays Billy at H five, was also born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I don't think he really is in anything else after this movie. Will Hare plays the grandpa. Like I'm never doing this again. I know. A lot of, I mean, it was a pretty B-rated movie, so it's not like it has a lot of well-known people or people really went on after this, but yeah, it looks like a lot of them did not continue necessarily to move on and up. (laughs) Um, Will Hare plays the grandpa. I also didn't really recognize a lot of the stuff he was in, but his opening scene is kind of infamous, uh, just because of the way he talks to poor Billy and what happens is the parents leave Billy alone in a room with grandpa who apparently is catatonic and as soon as they leave the grandpa turns and terrifies Billy talking about how being naughty is going to make Santa punish him and his family and Billy's terrified and he says like Christmas is the scariest damn night of the year. And Billy, with his big old eyes, looks like he's about to cry, and then the parents return, and Grandpa just goes back to being catatonic for Dr. Conway.
0: Yeah, it's really, um, weird.
1: It's aggressive.
0: (laughs) It's very aggressive, and it's like, well, you're... That's one way to look at Christmas, but, um... That's not way, the way to approach it for a child. It's that Poor little thing.
1: I mean, it's kind of Krampusy, but they don't talk about Krampus. They just say Santa in general. So there isn't like that, I don't know, difference between the two. Right. And while that is going on, a man in a Santa suit is holding up a gas station where he kills the teller, steals some stuff, and drives off. And then yep. he- He ends up pretending to be stranded on the side of a road next to his broken down car. Uh, the killer Santa- oh my gosh, the killer Santa is played by Charles Dyer Cop? Yep.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, why not? And who should happen upon this poor, stranded Santa other than the Chapman family? who were like, let's be good Samaritans and help this Santa. He immediately like, shows him their gun, or his gun, and they try to back away. He shoots the dad through the front windshield, kills the dad, and then sexually assaults and kills the mom. Billy gets out of the car and hides, and they don't really show anything happening, but I assume the Santa just leaves the baby alone and wanders off
0: yeah I have no idea the 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 baby was left and never um never touched on again
1: uh this is your first instance of lots of boob shots, which is a theme throughout the film
0: yeah, yeah, not what I was expecting at all to be i
1: honest. I was surprised seeing as to the year it was made. And then it jumps to December 1974 at St. Mary's Home for Orphan Children, where eight year old Billy and his brother Ricky are living.
0: Okay, I guess that makes sense.
1: And convent run orphanages, I guess, also just do the schooling. So these poor kids, like, never leave this orphanage. It's
0: their school, their. Home, their place of work and play.
1: Yeah, it's just they never leave. And poor Billy is in class and they're drawing these great pictures of Santa and he goes to show everyone his drawing and it is a drawing of Santa murdering people. Yep. And then he gets in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. looked up to see if this orphanage was real in Utah, and it wasn't. Uh, But there was the Kern St. Anne Catholic School, which was started by a convent as an orphanage way back when in Utah. And it turned into like this really big, fancy place where a lot of orphans went for a long time. They had like, I don't know, I think within their first year, they had like 200 orphans. Uh, once it got shut down, it turned into a Catholic. I mean, it did get shut down. Um, the Utah State Foster Care System was started in 1954, and so orphanages weren't a thing after that. So they, the kids, got transferred into the foster care system, and at that point, it turned into like this big fancy Catholic school, which is still standing and servicing grades. I think it's K through eight to this day. It's like a beautiful school if you Google it. But that was a random side note. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, there's also like a St. Mary, another random side note. There is a St. Mary's home or there used to be one in like Nevada, maybe. I don't know, but not in Utah. I did find it weird that these nuns were, like, big promoters of Santa to begin with. I guess when I think of, like, very devout Catholics, (laughs) I don't picture them being like, Yes! Santa! I would imagine they would push more the actual Jesus side of Christmas and be like, Santa's bastardizing this holiday. You know what I mean? Yeah
0: but they could be trying to just do it for the kids because the kids, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I was just surprised that there was an orphanage in Utah that had nuns there, so. (laughs) There's
1: that. Yeah, it's not a thing today. Not a thing. Um. But anyway. So, he gets taken to Mother Superior, but basically you find out that Billy has repressed the memories of his parents' murder, and he gets really antsy around Christmas, but he doesn't know why, although they do. Right. Um, and she is like, you know what, we'll just punish him until he learns to be okay, and then we're gonna force him to sit on Santa's lap, because that will solve all of his problems. Yeah,
0: obviously. It doesn't. No.
1: Um... From this scene, they don't give any details, but I gather that the murdering Santa got caught and that's how they know it was a Santa, because if he repressed the memories, he may not have talked about it, but I don't know. Or he, like, told the police enough to give up the Santa and then just clean slate after that. I'm not sure how that worked.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That'd be something to ask my mom about.
1: They don't ever really touch on that. Uh, Lillian Chauvin plays Mother Superior. She is of French birth and her real name is Lillian Zemos. Oh, fancy. She was a 1998 nominee for a TV award for Best Actress in Star Trek Deep Space Nine.
0: That's hilarious.
1: She also has played tiny parts in TV series like Ugly Betty, CSI, Malcolm the Middle, ER, Alias, Frasier, Friends, X-Files, and Murder, She Wrote.
0: Damn.
1: In Friends, um, she plays Joey's grandmother, because she is also part Italian. I think her dad is Italian. So she plays like his Italian grandmother who doesn't speak any English. And she looks really old in that TV series. But she's also been in Catch Me If You Can with Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio and Pumpkinhead 2 Blood Wings. Have you ever seen Pumpkinhead?
0: Yeah, I own it. Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, it popped up a few times doing like research and stuff for this. So I wasn't sure if you'd seen it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, she died June 26, 2008 of breast cancer and heart disease. Bummer. Uh, she was not in the second one. I think she asked for too much money, and they had a really tiny budget, which we'll talk about, but whoever they picked looked like her, so it worked out. There you go. There's also a sister, Margaret, who's played by Gilmer McCormick, and she is the only nice person in this movie to Billy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, She thinks that if they actually take care of him and, like, foster his anxieties and love him in any way, he'll grow up to be happy and healthy. But Mother Superior's, like, just beat it out of him. And she's like, well...
0: No. (laughs) Yeah,
1: basically. Uh, While he's being punished for his picture, Billy happens upon a young couple in the orphanage having sex. And watching this boy through, like, the little door... The Hole. Yeah, there you go. Uh, this kid is, like, grabbing the girl's boob, and in this magical moment, that is when he has memories of when his mother was sexually assaulted by evil Santa.
0: Dun dun dun!
1: And poor Billy, at this point, Mother Superior finds him spying on them, beats the shit out of the couple with a belt. Um, and then goes after Billy, so he gets punished even more. And then he has nightmares, so they tie him to the bed, because that's how you solve that. Yeah, of course. It's so upsetting. Uh, the words punish and naughty are repeated over and over and over again. so So much. I decided to start counting them. Uh, I counted punish being said 16 times and naughty 15 and I feel like it was said way more than that but that's what I counted
0: Hmm.
1: I probably missed a few at the beginning because I tried to go back and recount them but I couldn't remember exactly where I had started counting from so yeah but if that doesn't give you the whole idea for this movie um, rewatch it, because that's the whole idea for this movie.
0: Pretty much. Uh,
1: and then the next day, Mother Superior tries to make Billy sit on Santa's lap, and apparently he has superhuman strength and knocks this grown man over by hitting him in the face. And then it skips 10 years to the spring of 1984. Billy is now 18 years old. Sister Margaret found him a job at the local toy store, which I don't know why they thought that was a good idea.
0: Terrible idea in the first place.
1: Yeah, the toy store is called Iris Toys, and it was located in Heber City, Utah. Now oh. it is a gym.
0: Oh, classy! All right.
1: Uh, did you see any toys that you were like, "Oh my gosh, nostalgia"?
0: Um, not that I can remember at the. At this point, um, I'm sure that there were things. I know he was playing with Mr. Potato Head at one point. And I never had one myself, but all my friends had them. So I got to play with that. But uh, I know there was like some board games that I like noticed and knew and used to have.
1: I saw but... Mousetrap. That's the only board game I really remember. Um, but... Bloody Disgusting.com noticed... Some like bigger toys. Uh, The only one that I'm going to mention is the Star Wars Return of the Jedi Jabba the Hutt action playset. Because that movie came out the year before this movie did. So that was like a big deal because people were real hyped. And they noticed a bunch of other like really cool old school toys that I don't know what they are. So I'm not going to talk about them.
0: That's
1: fair. Also, they made Billy like oddly attractive.
0: Yeah, that was a that was that caught me off guard. I was like, why is why are you pretty all of a sudden?
1: I know the guy's like, I need a big, strong man to work in the back, and Sister Margaret's like, Well, how about you wait to see them this hunk before you turn him away? That's not really how she says it, but that's basically what she said. Um, And then it like pans him, and he's just like this. I don't know,
0: perfectly fit, eighteen year old, tall, muscular
1: pretty man. Yep. Uh, so Billy Chapman at 18 is played by Robert Brian Wilson. He basically stopped making films in the 90s uh, but has been in a couple of TV movies in the 20s, in 2016. I think they were like one of them was like a Lifetime or a Hallmark Christmas type movie.
0: Figure.
1: He was a guest on a podcast in 2016 called Without Your Head which claims to be the world's longest running active horror podcast with weekly episodes, and they do, like, a lot of stuff. I'd never heard of them until now, but I thought that was kind of cool.
0: That is cool.
1: And, uh, Ira Sims, who owns the store and hires Billy, was played by Britt Leach. A store worker named Maria Randall is played by Nancy Borgenicht. She is credited in Halloween 4 Return of Michael Myers as woman attendant.
0: Probably at the uh, the the pharmacy when they're getting her Jamie's costume or something. Oh I yeah, that's,
1: that, the, that's, that's the that's the first one. It. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for some reason we just can't get away from Halloween. Like now that we've done it, it's everywhere. <laughs> I <laughs> which I know. Isn't a bad thing, but it's just I guess now I can reference it knowledgeably. And then. Billy has a crush on a young woman who works there named Pamela Vero, who's played by Tony Nero. They do like this really awkward, cheesy, happy sitcom montage (laughs) where Billy is working. And he's just like stocking toys and putting things on shelves and reaching really high and spying at this girl.
0: It's really weird.
1: And his supervisor is Andy Neal. And he is a grade-A prick, and just always sitting down telling Billy he's a piece of trash while he does absolutely nothing. Eventually, of course, because it's a toy store, Christmas comes around and is swamped by Christmas. And... For some miscellaneous reason, Billy has a bizarre dream where he is doing dirty things with Pamela. And then he gets stabbed and attacked by Santa. Dun, dun, dun! And I'm sorry if you can hear my dog in the background.
0: She's just being the guard dog that she can- the best guard dog that she can.
1: I think she's barking at a cat because she wants to play with it, but it won't play with her.
0: Oh, that- that's fair too.
1: <laughs> um, so- of course, because he's afraid of Santa. Naturally, the only thing they could do was say it's Christmas Eve, Billy. You need to play Santa, and he ends up traumatizing a few, but he makes it through the night.
0: Yeah, he scares the. Sh- he's a he's a terrible Santa.
1: Well, he has no idea how to act as Santa because he's never been around a Santa. Although, like not traumatizing children, um, it seems pretty obvious, but right. You'd also think think he would be better with kids Because he grew up in an orphanage Surrounded by kids and I'm sure like the older They got the more they had to help With the younger ones But he really just acts like he's never Talked to a child before it's awkward Yeah But after They close the store uh, Ira Sims The store owner pulls out alcohol and is like Let's party because apparently no one's allowed To go home on Christmas Eve And they all start drinking. I'm sure Billy has never had anything other than, like, a sacramental wine. Probably. And he also, like, swears at some point. And I'm like, whoa, you swore. Naughty, naughty.
0: Exactly.
1: Ah, Get it? Uh uh While they're drinking, Billy watches Supervisor... Andy and his crush Pamela start flirting and wander off into the back room, where he decides to be a creep and follow them. Uh, But, I mean, kind of good thing he did, but also, like, not. Um, Andy decides to sexually assault Pamela, which, of course, reminds Billy of his mother being sexually assaulted. And then, like, while he's watching, he's just, like, staring for a very long time. It's really awkward. And no one notices him, but he's like sitting right next to them. It's so weird. But he like is having these flashbacks to his mother being sexually assaulted, and then it turns into him sexually assaulting and stabbing his mother, and so he's like taking on the persona of this Santa. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wakes up from this, I guess, and kills Andy, and then Pamela is like wow, you're crazy. Why would you do that? And then, of course, he kills her. I'm wondering if she had said, like, thank you, um, if he would have killed her still. Yeah. But I think in his head, she was still being naughty.
0: Right. So I don't know. I think it's funny how mad
1: she gets. <laughs> I. It's really odd. I... Mm-hmm can't say that would be my reaction but also like she was being attacked so who knows yeah but all he says to her is punishment is necessary pamela it is good and then kills her yep and
0: then he decides then, oh go ahead i was going to say and then he decides to go on a murder spree and just fucking kill a whole bunch of people that um he thinks are naughty and need punishment
1: Yep, yeah, that's what he says before every murder. He's like, naughty! And then he kills people.
0: Or punish. Naughty or punish. It's a fucking... Oh, God, It's it drove me nuts. He
1: is very much presented like Michael Myers, but like a cheap, not-so-good version. He's obnoxiously strong, oblivious to pain. He uses whatever's around him as a murder weapon. Um... But he made me grateful that Michael Myers wears a mask, because his facial expressions while he's killing are so awkward. I know. Because he's, like, trying to look really intense, but it just doesn't work. And I was like, now I know why Michael Myers wears a mask. It's way creepier. (laughs) Yeah.
0: it's, It's rough.
1: And then... After he's killed everybody in the store, Sister Margaret appears because she's like, oh shit, it's Christmas and he's working? And she finds all the dead bodies, calls the police, and then there's like this weird dreamscape review of all the people he's killed. And there's like music and weird colors. And then... Boom! More boobs! Um, and then you see... Another couple of teenagers, I assume, named Denise and her boyfriend, they are babysitting her younger sister. I don't know where their parents are on Christmas Eve. I assume like a work party. I don't know. Probably. Denise is played by Linnea Quigley, who is known for B movies such as Stone Cold Dead in 79, Wheeler in 75. Her breakout role was in The Return of the Living Dead in 85
0: no way which one is she in return of the living dead
1: you'll have to look it up i don't know i'm on it she is known for playing like topless gorgeous women uh she okay then i know exactly who she is (laughs) (laughs) she's often titled america's scream queen i guess pre no post jamie lee curtis um She has written two autobiographies about her work on set. One of them is called Bio and Chainsaw, and I'm screaming as fast as I can.
0: He gets naked at a cemetery in in, uh, Return of the Living Dead.
1: Yeah, she plays a lot of parts like that. She's been offered a lot of parts in even more movies, um, but I think her scenes get cut a lot because if they're going to cut something, they're going to cut something that's more controversial as in a naked a nude woman type thing um so she unfortunately kind of gets shit on a lot yeah Uh, she's well known for working on PETA's lettuce ladies campaign where people educate others about vegetarian lifestyles while wearing only lettuce she even had a poster made to promote this animal rights campaign um she was also once in a girl band called the skirts
0: That must not have lasted long.
1: (laughs) Makes me think of uh, Pitch Perfect 3. The band called Evermoist. Oh, That's such a traumatizing name. Uh, She goes to horror conventions a lot. And I guess she's a big deal when she goes. She has a... I'm sorry. um, On a website called Mr. Skin posted October 2020 as uh, she was one of the top four quote scream queens who had done the most on-screen nudity. According to the list, she had 64, not including the ones that she'd been chopped out of. The other three were Debbie, I was like Rochin, Rokan, I don't know, who had 40, Jamie Lee Curtis, who had 20, and Mila Jovovich at 20 as well. Currently, she has nine movies announced. I'm sorry, she has nine movies that are either announced in pre-production or filming to post-production. So she's got a bunch of movies coming out. She also has the same birthday as Vincent Price, May 27th. Hmm. And so while she is getting mid-sexual encounter with her boyfriend in this movie, uh, she hears bells, which Billy has bells on the sleeve of his Santa costume. Yeah. But she's like, ah, I gotta go let the cat in. And her boyfriend's like, are you kidding me right now? And she's like, yeah. So she puts shorts on. Over her underwear. Oh, this is
0: another thing that drove me absolutely nuts. And then
1: answers her door to the snow cold outside, with her tits hanging out. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In Utah, let me tell you, in Utah, it's fucking cold, well, it's especially like, at night.
1: It's like why put shorts on if you're just gonna do it that way?
0: Who the fuck is wearing shorts in in, in the midst of winter in Utah? First that's off?
1: also a good point. Like, yeah, I, I'm not a body shamer. I don't care about nudity. It's just it doesn't fit that she put shorts on midwinter and then answered the door with her nips out. But I hope that somebody somewhere is thinking it's a bit nipply outside. <laughs>
0: Pressing me inside.
1: Exactly.
0: Alright, well, yeah, that drove me nuts, but that's coming from the kids that's currently sitting in Utah where it's actually cold. <laughs>
1: And it's not even Christmas yet. Nope. But needless to say, Billy sees her, busts in, kills her. And then her boyfriend, Clement, starts wandering around looking for her.
0: Who didn't hear any of the trashing of the house or, like, the shit that's going through her screaming or anything. He is a deaf
1: man. He just, like, walks up the stairs. He's like, huh, she's been gone a while. Uh... Let's see, Clement is. or Tommy. Who's Tommy? Maybe her boyfriend's name is Tommy. I don't know. Uh, he's played by Leo Geeter, who's also been in Penny Dreadful. And he was in Halloween: The Curse of Michael Myers, which is the Paul Rudd movie. He plays Barry Sims, the radio show talk host guy.
0: Always back to Halloween.
1: Right? As he's walking through the house, there are three very large, majestic tiger paintings. It's, mm-hmm. I don't, was that like a big thing in the 80s? I don't I know. I guess. I have no
0: idea. But this guy is thick, like dumb thick. He can't see in front of his fucking face. Can I just say that? Like,
1: yeah, not, not yeah. booty thick, dumb thick. <laughs> dumb thick. <laughs> he does run into Billy. Um, they tussle. He kicks Billy in the dick. Which surprised me because that is so rare for people to actually do in a movie.
0: Even though it's, like, my first thought in any any fight that happens. I'm like, just kick him in the
1: dick! Exactly! (laughs) And I was thinking about it. I was like, why is that so rare? Um, And I think it has to do with the fact that the majority of writing and directing is male. So it's male perspective. And they, to them, that is, like... You don't do that, right? It's a sacred spot. They don't want it to happen to them. Um, And so that's why it's not in movies. But if women wrote more of these movies, I wonder if it would happen more often in fight scenes. So. But anyways, he dies. Yep. Apparently the swift kick to the dick didn't save his life. And then Cindy, the little girl they're babysitting, walks in. Billy gives her the box cutter that he had been murdering people with previously. And I think he basically just gave it to her because she said she wasn't naughty. I don't know. Probably. And while that's going on, the police start combing the streets looking for a murdering Santa... They see a Santa climbing a ladder into a window at a house, and they just, like, storm into the house. And turns out it was the father who owns the house sneaking into his daughter's window to pretend to be Santa. The man who played this father is played by Don Shanks, who is one of the stuntmen who plays the shape in the Halloween franchise.
0: Jesus Christ.
1: He was in Halloween 5.
0: It really all just comes back to Halloween.
1: (laughs) And these cops are kind of dopey, which made me think of the Halloween cops that are like in that weird stooge-like scene who are in, guess which movie? Halloween 5! Dun, dun, dun! Oh, gosh. (laughs) Uh, The cops do wear... Jackets that have badges on the corner that say Wasatch County Sheriff, so that's cool. They actually like got those costumes or jackets to wear. Also, side note, there's lots of mountains in the background, and it made me miss them.
0: Yeah, the like the first thing you see is like the mountains. I'm like, oh, I know those mountains.
1: And they're all snowy and pretty. But basically, while these cops are just bumbling around, storming into random people's houses, Billy murders a child bully on a sled.
0: That's probably, like, my favorite murder.
1: I, I have a couple. I have a couple that I like. We'll get there. And at this point, because he's just wandering the streets killing people, Sister Margaret has put together that he is headed towards the orphanage.
0: Oh, figure.
1: And of course the orphanage phone was left off the hook by a child, and so the police can't get a hold of them to say, like, lock your doors. But the police officer that shows up at the orphanage sees a Santa walking towards children playing outside and decides to open fire into the crowded group of children.
0: That he's big deal, it's fine.
1: I mean, it's not into the group of children, but he literally shoots in their direction. <laughs> yeah. Like, had he missed a little bit, a kid would have been hit in the face. Yep. But don't worry, because the man he shot and killed dressed as Santa was not Billy, but indeed a deaf volunteer, Father O'Brien, who was coming to cheer the children. And they decide that it is a great idea to put all of these children inside the orphanage, in the foyer, in front of the unlocked door... Instead of putting them anywhere else while they wait for Billy Chapman to get caught. Like, they could have put him in a classroom, like all those kids in a classroom, where it's a controlled entry point. Or upstairs, in their rooms, or in the chapel, I assume they have. But no, they put them right in the foyer where there's multiple entrances. And they can see everything going on outside. Yeah. anywho uh, the cop decides to wander the grounds finds a shed which is where Billy shows up, kills him pretty quickly and then he walks up to the front door and a little kid just runs up and is like Santa and lets him in he is like I want to say he's probably going for Sister Margaret but oh I have an itch I'm sorry
0: I think he's going after... Because Sister Margaret was always nice to him. I think he's going after uh, the the Superior.
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. Mother Superior. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Sister Margaret shows up with the cop. Shoots him in the back. He dies. Um, as mm-hmm. he's dying, he says... Um, he says something like, You guys are safe from Santa now. That's not what he says. Mm-hmm. He says something along those lines. You that, guys are safe now that Santa's dead. Yeah, there you go. Um, and... His axe lands on the ground right at the feet of a kid who ends up being his brother, Ricky. And Ricky is, like, naughty. And that's how the movie ends.
0: With really gross, creepy music.
1: It's so weird. It's like an upbeat 80s song. Yeah. It doesn't fit with, like, that grotesque murder.
0: But it makes it disturbing as hell.
1: And... I, another thing I noted about the music, I didn't recognize any of the Christmas songs playing, which I appreciated because it wasn't like the typical, you know, fa la 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 type songs. But it turns out that that's because all the songs in this movie were original because they had wanted to come out with a Christmas soundtrack for this movie um, before the holidays. So this movie came out in November and they wanted to release the soundtrack, make more money before Christmas. But before we, like, touch more on that, I just want to say the way that it ends is also very Halloweenish <laughs> Because it ends with, like, this demonic possession idea. Because mm-hmm. uh, Billy's acts like he's like, oh, there's no more Santa in me. And then his brother is like, oh, now just I'm Just kidding, evil. it's me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, the film, as we said, did not get received well. And so... <laughs> The soundtrack did not get released until 2014 for the 30th anniversary. The soundtrack includes all the songs in the music, and then six songs that were not heard on the film. The only song missing from this soundtrack, as far as I can tell, is like a bow wow, because this was basically an order, like an 80s murder porn film.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of sex,
1: a lot of boobs. Hmm. <sighs> okay and along with it not being received well so this was put out by TriStar Pictures and mm-hmm. they stopped like they pulled this movie from theaters two weeks after it was previewed even though it did very well in the box office originally The the weird part is, is that Tristar was owned by Coke, who is known for, like, creating Santa um, so that they could sell soda. Right. And so it's kind of weird that they, I don't know, like, allowed this movie to come out because it, like, shit on Santa so bad. (laughs) Right. I'm sure they, like, honestly don't have that much control. That'd be, like, you know, Disney controlling what, I don't know. H, like Hulu puts out, but um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of silly. Uh, but after that two weeks, basically, TriStar cut all ties with the movie. It was brought back into theaters in 1986 by Aquarius Films, and what they did was genius because when they released it, they played off all of the drama from when it got shut down. And on their movie posters for the release, they put the movie that went too far. That so outraged Hollywood, the government and parents everywhere, they tried to ban it. The movie, uh, so shocking, so disturbing, they didn't want you to see it. Now you can see it, uncut, in all its terrifying horror. So that's kind of genius.
0: They do do make it look like it's, like, super crazy and... In reality, it's just a terrible movie. <laughs>
1: um. So, the original movie poster is a picture of a Santa going down a chimney, I guess, but it's just like his arm with an axe hanging out. Mm-hmm. And the tagline that accompanied it said, you've made it through Halloween, now try and survive Christmas.
0: Dun dun I don't know how many more I can do of that in here.
1: <laughs> uh, the poster dis- the poster was designed by Bert Kliegler, and he said in an interview with HalloweenMovie.com or HalloweenLove.com, sorry, that not only did he choose the iconic Santa out of the chimney photo, but he also played a part in the tagline. Which played off the success of John Carpenter's slasher classic, Halloween.
0: Always. Always always. (laughs) all
1: It's all coming together. But I guess this poster scared children so much about Christmas. They didn't want anything to do with Santa, and so parents were really pissed off. Instead of like seeing the movie, they just assumed what this movie was about, which I mean all your assumptions are right. It's a murderous Santa. But they started picketing outside of theaters before showtimes because they didn't want this movie to come out because it was ruining Christmas for their children. Instead of explaining, like, it's just a movie, Santa's nice, they decided to just right. tell everybody what they could not couldn't do. Uh, Horrorgeeklife.com shared an article in a newspaper from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. And they had it on the front page. Uh, Basically, there was this big group called the Citizens Against Movie Madness that was, like, spearheading this in Milwaukee. Uh, They would hold signs like, we love Santa or save Santa and crap like that. PTAs, like your elementary school PTAs around the nation were picketing. Um, It was just a, a shit show. I haven't... I wasn't able to find anything where the Citizens Against Movie Madness ever worked together again to like, censor movies. Um, so I don't know if they just got together for this and then we're like, ah, we're happy. They took it out. There's also an actor named Mickey Rooney who wrote a letter of protest against the movie as well. He wrote a letter which is on the blu-ray release done by scream factory he it's like on the cover picture i guess um but he ended up starring in silent night deadly night five the toy maker so that's a little hypocritical but whatevs but also there's five of these (laughs) yeah that's a lot and we're not doing all of them sorry (laughs) Uh there's another group, the Catholic Conference met in New York. They gave a nightmare on Elm Street an O rating for offensive and decided that Silent Night, Deadly Night was an abomination, which I get because it makes their religion look awful. Yeah, it does. I mean not awful, but it you know, it plays it off the rough. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> And then in an article by Vulture, they said that the movie like just really had no chance after some well-known film critics named Siskel and Ebert decided to hate on the movie as well. Uh, Gene Siskel said that it was a long time to- alongside the notorious I Spit on Your Grave as one of the two most contestable films he'd ever seen. And Like, horror movies are typically trashed on anyways, so, you know, big surprise. That's kind of why we like them so much, right? Probably. People don't get it.
0: You just don't understand me.
1: Exactly. Uh, Variety was one of the few people who actually reviewed it after watching the movie. They said it was a nasty bit of business. That was quite unintentionally hilarious which is true and then the two did like I guess they had like a big TV show where they would review movies and they did like this whole episode about this movie just talking shit on it and that was basically when Tristar was like well we're fucked and took it out of the theaters pretended like it never happened And, fun fact, censorship in filmmaking has happened before. Surprise, we live in America. In 1913, the state of Ohio tried to create a group that could review and approve films to be shown. Anyone caught showing an unapproved film was arrested. Damn. Wasn't there a bar in Utah that got, like, shut down or they lost their liquor license or something? Because they showed...
0: So it was Brewies downtown Salt Lake, um, and that's our our bar and movie theater that we have. Uh, And they we were showing Deadpool, and there was like this whole thing where you're not supposed to show like these. It's nudity. Yeah, it's nudity and things like that. Uh, And because there's partial nudity in um, Deadpool, uh, they there was like this whole lawsuit that was caused and everything. Ryan Reynolds came and donated a shit ton of money to Brewbies, and he incorporated himself into it and Brubies, um was saved and I still go to Brewbies because I fucking love it.
1: But that's Utah for you. I couldn't yep. find any articles about picketing of this movie that happened in Utah specifically which is surprising because it was filmed there. Maybe yeah. they just stayed out of it because it was filmed there and they were like shit we're gonna make money off of this. Who knows? Possibly. Or because Utah is notably Mormon, the Mormons were like, you know what, we'll just stay out of this. We'll let the Catholics take it. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, But that censorship in Ohio eventually made it to the Supreme Court in a case known as Mutual Film Corps versus Industrial Commission of Ohio. Unfortunately, it did not help the industry and instead the courts favored the censorship saying that movies and TV don't fall under like the First Amendment free speech thing. And so this led to a thing called the Hayes Code which was really big from 1934 to 1968 which was basically a set of rules that the movie industry put on themselves in order to meet these like censorship rules that were popping up uh, because they wanted to make sure that the films they were making would actually get shown. So, some of the rules included no ridiculing the clergy, strike one for Silent Night, Deadly Night, Uh, no profanity, especially in regards to Christianity, strike two for Silent Night, Deadly Night, no representation of interracial relationships, they had that going for them, good thing that's not a thing now, Uh, no displays of illegal drug activity, and these rules also went on to cover like nudity, strike three, violence, strike four, rape, strike five, and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, I'm, I can't think of many movies that don't have some of those in there.
0: A lot of them do.
1: Yeah. But I guess this is why he went on to make very religious films, because that's all he could get shown. <laughs> huh. All right, um, but the common denominator in most of those, speaking as a third party, is uh, a lot of those rules are religious defined. Yeah, but that is a chat for another day. Eventually, the Hays Code turned into the Motion Picture Association of America, which is the same organization that decides rating for films today. So that's a little history for you. and thus brings us to silent night deadly night 2 which came out in 1987. you can see this on Tubi for free Uh. this was directed and written by Lee Harry did you actually watch this one
0: no, I never got a chance to, unfortunately. Uh, let me tell you, you're not missing out.
1: Okay. Cool. Uh, so Lee Harry doesn't really make movies. He, oh. he does a lot of the editing for movies, but he's not real big on, like, actually directing them.
0: So this was his, like, toe in the
1: water, and then he's like, nah, fuck it. So this movie came about in a really weird way. Um, so Lawrence Applebaum also has a written credit for this. He owns an editing company where they do like the post production editing, where people bring him the film and then they cut it down to meet, you know, time and rules and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brought in Lee Harry to do editing for reshoots, reshoots on a movie called Hellhole, which looks interesting if you Google it. I want to watch it as like a random side thing. <laughs> it looks really fucked up, but interesting. Uh, anyways, Lee Harry's own production business wasn't doing quite well at the time, so he closed his own business and started working for Mr. Applebaum. And he also worked with him on a bunch of other ones until he basically just worked for him permanently. Or full time, anyways. He also worked with a man named Joseph H. Earle for Mr. Applebaum, who also has a written by credit, along with Dennis Patterson who worked in sound music and editorial department, also for Applebaum. He has done movies like Sorority House Massacre 2, Slumber Party Massacre 3, Escape from DS3, which Lee Harry worked on. I think that's where they met a lot.
0: So he doesn't start them. He just finishes them.
1: Yes, which is oddly still the same for this movie. So in an interview with CoolAssCinema.com, Lee Harry said that a production company bought the rights to Silent Night, Deadly Night from Tristar. They gave it to the Apple bomb post production company and said, we want you to recut it, create a new score, and then we're just going to put it out there as a sequel. But it will be the exact same movie. (laughs) Okay. And so those group, that group of guys we just talked about. They went ahead, they cut it, but they were like, you know what? Maybe we could add some scenes just to make it seem like an actual new movie. Um, I think the budget was like 100000 maybe. But basically, Lee Harry, not a director. He works on editing. He's often said that, like, actors would not complain but they would be like oh you didn't give a lot of direction (laughs) and he was like yeah that's true because all i care about is the shot because that's what i like i'm a cinematographer i don't care about the acting right thus brings us to silent night deadly night 2 and you'll see exactly what lee harry's talking about because Of this 88 minute movie the first 40 minutes is literally just the first movie cut into bits and pieces they took out boobs and some of the gore because Lee Harry is squeamish and doesn't like a lot of gore (laughs) oh yeah it's an interesting mix for this movie so it does start out Christmas Eve lots of years after the first movie and Ricky the brother whose real name is Richard by the way he's in prison or like a psychiatric prison hospital thing and he's about to be interviewed by a psychiatrist named Dr. Henry Bloom. Ricky is played by Eric Freeman who was born in Raleigh North Carolina which I only mentioned because that's where I currently am so yay we're both here in Cool Ass Cinema Interview, Lee Harry said that he is often... A- oh, I already talked about that. I'll cut that up Blah, blah, blah. Um, Eric Freeman's, like, over-the-top acting for this movie is part of the reason I think people really like this film. The lines in this movie are great. They're so awful and so overdone. But it makes it worth watching. If you have to watch this movie. Anyways. Ah. Yes. Uh, in the, as I said, the first beginning, 40 minutes, it's him making, like, small exclamations between cuts of the first movie. And one of the first lines that he says, there's a cat meowing somewhere, Um, he is directed at the Doctor Henry Bloom, who's played by James Newman. Um, side note, he's had, like, really tiny parts in Evan Almighty and Legally Blonde, too. But anyways, he looks at the doc and he's like, fuck off, doc. It's like really over the top. All right. Yeah. Um, and then there's this part that I giggled at, and it's really random. But <laughs> there's an orderly that comes into the room when that happens, and he like starts backing out, and he what I assume is meant to be like a finger waggle to be like a tisk at, at Ricky. Uh-huh. Hi. What? what? I hear you. Yeah. Um, but instead he like moves his whole arm and it looks like he's like blessing the room. It's really weird. <laughs> but it made me giggle. Anyways, the doctor is like, Don't come in, you're interrupting my process. And so the orderlies, don't come in after that. He asked Ricky who killed his parents, but Ricky was six months old, had no idea. Who killed his parents. Yeah. And his brother had repressed memories for 13 years. Until he went on a murder spree. And then was instantly killed. So he didn't get to have like a heart to heart with Ricky. And be like look this is what I remember. So I have no idea how he knows who killed his parents. But he does tell him like Santa murdered my family. Hmm. And then it goes through basically the whole first movie. Which is kind of nice. Because if you didn't get to watch the first movie because it was banned, like, you get this nice, like, here's a summary, you're all caught up. It shows all the murders, but in, like, a less gory kind of way. Hold on, I just... Where did I put the graveyard for the first movie? It's down here.
0: Oh,
1: well, that's okay. Um, sorry. When you read it, do you want me to cut it and put it after the actual first movie, or do you want to keep it where it is and do, like, movie one into movie two graveyard?
0: I'm fine either way. Okay, it
1: was supposed to be up at the top, I just, I didn't realize it. I'm sorry. we <laughs> are fine. It just hit me randomly. Anyways, you can feel free to read any of this anytime the
0: way i am enjoying just putting my little pitches in
1: okay that works
0: because I, I i didn't i don't have a lot of nice things to say about this movie again
1: Oh, <laughs> well, that's fine we're not here to be nice i don't know anyways um uh-huh. okay um this cut that they put together like we said it has less boobs less gore um i think that was so that it would meet a lower like rating and be showable in theaters Mm -hmm. but it turns out that this is like the 13th psychiatrist who's attempted to interview ricky he says this to the doctor who just says good that's my lucky number it's not his lucky number just so you know
0: It it is i i like 13 and 31 those are my numbers
1: yeah it doesn't work out for him
0: spoiler alert bummer
1: uh then he says do you sleep ricky To which Ricky responds, I don't sleep! But Billy had dreams. And then it goes into more cuts.
0: What the fuck?
1: Okay. And you get to see the Majestic Tigers again, so there's that.
0: Mm.
1: Um. And there's this part where you kind of get this idea that Ricky doesn't actually remember anything accurately, and that all the stuff that's being relayed is really just like a secondhand story. He might have changed things. Because he says something like, at the orphanage, janitor Kelsey was shot as Santa. But if you remember not too long ago, um, it wasn't the janitor. It was a volunteer mm-hmm. f- named Father O'Brien. So they kind of give you this idea that his memories might not quite be as solid as he thinks they are. Hmm. Uh, they do end up showing where the axe is pointing at Ricky, and it's the original footage. But then halfway through the like panning up the kid's knees, the footage changes to like modern day footage. <laughs> and it's a totally different actor because this kid goes on to play Kid Ricky in more parts of the movie so they switched it halfway through the pan and it's really it's not a smooth transition terrible Terrible idea (laughs) Um, 10 year old Ricky is played by Brian Michael Henley and then Daryl I think it's Gibbo plays him at either age 12 or 15 I'm not entirely sure the math said 12 but The credits say 15, so I don't know. Uh, But it turns out that after his brother was killed, Ricky got adopted by a family named Mr. and Mrs. Rosenberg. Ricky shares that as a kid, he would get really anxious, and uh, whenever he saw red, or nuns, apparently, he would, like, I don't know, like, black out, kind of, (laughs) and the psychiatrist points out to the audience in a very obvious manner that whenever he sees red he gets really aggressive um just like a bull so hmm. you know bull 10 year old is there a difference the first time it happens is when he is out shopping with his mom and the street that this is filmed on is in sierra madre california this is the the same street that's featured in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Psycho 3, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, and The Fog. Goodness. And then it switches to him at age 17 and his adopted father is dead. The cemetery where they have the funeral is the same cemetery where Judith Meyer's headstone was located in John Carpenter's Halloween.
0: Useful places, man. Yeah. That all lead back to Halloween. Apparently.
1: <laughs> uh, after the funeral, he decides to just, like, wander off into a meadow that looks like a meadow that Edward Cullen from Twilight would hang out in. <clears throat> <laughs> it does. Like, it looks like that same meadow. It's really weird. <laughs> God. Um, uh, don't judge me for, like, having seen those movies, but. Yeah, there were no sparkly vampires, but there could have been. You never know. Anyways, um, there's another instance of female violence which occurs. And this man attacks his girlfriend there. And then he, like, wanders off to his Jeep, which is when Ricky stumbles upon it. He ends up running over this guy in his own Jeep. Because his Jeep is red. Because, you know, red sets him off. But he, God, like runs over this guy and then backs up and then runs over him again.
0: Cheaper, creeper style.
1: Yeah. And then he just gets out and the girlfriend walks over and is like, thanks. And then they both just like walk off in different directions. (laughs) And that's the end of that scene. Uh, Ricky has a lot of control over his murders. um, As opposed to his brother, Billy, which was like one He had, like, a psychotic break, and that's why he murdered a bunch of people. Whereas Billy, every once in a while, he gets triggered, he murders somebody, and then he just, like, walks off like it's fine. (laughs) Um, They're kind of like two coins of a serial killer. You know, there's, like, Ricky with his cooling off periods, and then Billy, who just, like, rampaged. So neither one of them are good news. Uh, Lee Harry does have this comment that I kind of wanted to, like... It's kind of cringy, um, but he, his argument to having the gore in his movie is that the victims in his movie deserved it. Uh, it's a little, you know, controversial to say in my opinion, Um, but like, I get what he means. Like they aren't, most of them aren't just innocents. Uh, they're like this guy who was attacking a woman and stuff like that but to say they deserved to be murdered in an awful way is a little reaching a little bit Um, and then it jumps again and he's at age 18 he's working at a restaurant he takes the trash out and there is a loan shark beating up somebody who owes him money and this loan shark's name is Rocco which was just like such a in your face loan shark name (laughs) Uh, He happens to be wearing a red tie and have a red pocket pocket kerchief. And, of course, this sets Ricky off. He kills him in a beautiful way. I'm sorry. He kills him in a way that we can appreciate being who we are. Not that you know. You should look it up um, when we get to the graveyard. But... Special effects for this were done by Chris Briggs, who also did work for Critters 1 and 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and 5, Zombie High, and a bunch of other horror, like, B-rated horror films. Ricky goes on to fall in love with a girl named Jennifer, Or Jennifer. And he makes, like, this big point to be like, I lost my virginity to her, and I thought that she had lost hers to me. And you're like, oh, that's going to be a big deal for some reason. And Jennifer's played by Elizabeth Caton, who is also in Thunder Run, which was another one that their production company did. Uh, she's in Necromancer and Friday the 13th Part 7. Uh, sorry. <coughs> These two end up going on a date to a movie theater, which oddly enough happens to be about a murderous Santa. And, of course, watching a murderous Santa sets off uh, Ricky, and he goes to the very back of the theater where there's this, like, guy heckling everyone in the theater. And I think he also happens to be wearing a red sweater. Um, And he, in front of all these people, murders the guy, but nobody notices. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, Also, random side note, one of the actors in the theater is the director, Lee Lee Harry. He just, like, I don't know, put himself in there for some reason.
0: I'm gonna be in the crowd, watching a movie.
1: Exactly, of a murderous Santa in a movie about a murderous Santa.
0: Why not?
1: Which is the sequel to a movie about a murderous Santa.
0: Oh, dude. Did we mention there's five of them? <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Plus, five plus. Uh, but while he's murdering this guy and nobody's listening or paying attention to it, Jennifer's old boyfriend, Chip, shows up, and it turns out that she was not quite the uh, sweet little virgin flower Ricky thought. But also, Chip is a dick. Uh, of chi- course. Chip is played by Ken Weikert, who... Had spent seven ye- like seven, sorry, who spent 17 years as a member of the Tennessee National Guard. He's like really big into fitness and has like this international boot camp thing that he's really big for. Hmm. He's also in a couple of movies I think that are supposed to come out soon. I don't know what they are. I think they're TV movies. But, anyways, uh, she is like. Get away from me, Chip. I'm on a date. Meanwhile, he's still murdering that one guy. And he just, like, waltzes up, sits next to her like nothing happened. Uh, And then it shows them on another date walking down a street. They run into Chip, who happens to drive a red car. Oh, figure. Uh, Chip gives a that's-what-she-said joke before that's-what-she-said was a joke. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way he says it, it's not funny and more... I know gross <laughs> cause of he's course. like that's what she said when I was fucking her brains out ew Yeah, and I was like oh that was almost cool but then you ruined it if he had just stopped after that's what she said would have been prime right uh, but basically between having a red car and his derogatory talk of Jennifer Ricky gets upset and kills Chip and then turns on Jennifer and kills her A police officer pulls up and says in his very menacing voice, okay, pal. Because that's what makes people stop killing people.
0: All right, wise guy.
1: Yeah. Put (sighs) him up. And then for some reason, so he's pointing his gun and like walking towards the Santa. And then he's holding the wrist of the hand that's pointing the gun. Instead of like holding, Hmm. you know, it's typically like, you hold the hand that's holding the gun, but he's like, holding his wrist, and he's, like, shaking as he walks toward him. Uh, he dies, needless to say. Bummer. And then Ricky now has a gun, and he is on his own little murderous spree without a care in the world. And then he says, like, the most iconic line from the film, which apparently has made it into memes. He says, garbage day, and shoots an unsuspecting guy taking his trash can out. Okay. And then he meets a little girl on a bike. Her bike is red, but he does not kill her, and I think it's because she's very polite. She's like, "Hey, mister." And then, "Excuse me." And she's so cute. But he's just <laughs> like he's just like, "I'm sorry," and gets out of her way and then keeps waltzing down the street. And then he hmm. shoots a red car and causes this big explosion accident. Uh, This was shot in one single take, and I guess the stuntman almost died.
0: Oh, lovely.
1: Yeah. Sounds safe. You know, when you're playing with explosives. Yeah, for real. There's no need for safety. And then all of a sudden, Ricky's surrounded by cops. He tries to kill himself, but of course he didn't have any bullets left. Mm -hmm. So from there, it catches up to Ricky telling the story to the doctor. And then it turns to the doctor and plot twist he strangled the doctor with his own recording tape hmm. ricky escapes and then he finds a salvation army volunteer kills him and puts on his santa suit oh of course uh, the police contact sister mary from the orphanage and they figure out that ricky is headed to mother superior's house to finish billy's original work mother superior had a stroke many years prior apparently she like fell on a fire because half her face is burned i don't know uh she's also lives alone in this house i i didn't know churches did that i thought like if you were in a convent you just kind of were like there again i, I don't know
0: yeah yeah i don't know
1: uh, but this Mother Superior, like we said, is not played by the same one from the last one. She wanted too much money. This one's played by Jean Miller who's the actress from the first movie who played, sorry, said that already? Uh, this one's played by Jean Miller. She looks kind of like a demon uh, because of the burn on her face. <laughs> and the place where she lives at has the house number of 666, which uh, I thought was like a weird. John. John. Yeah, it was just yeah. a random I don't know. That is weird symbolism I guess they were trying to throw in there but Ricky arrives at her house he like unlocks her door I think he puts his hand through the window or something unlocks the door and then he kicks it in I'm like why didn't you just open it if you unlocked it yeah for real and then at some point he says naughty this and kills mother superior and then gets shot down by cops
0: naughty this bitch
1: I feel like we should put Naughty This on some panties, like the butt of some panties, and sell it.
0: There you go. Profiting.
1: Or sweats. Do you have a bedazzler?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I always wanted one when I was a kid, but I never got one.
1: What's it? What is it now? It's a a cricket. We could get a cricket. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There we go. Donate to us so we could buy a cricket and put Naughty This on anything you'd like. (laughs) Um... Speaking of naughty, in this film, I counted 25 times that the word naughty was said. This includes the 40 minutes of replay from the first movie. And then punish was said 18 times.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: that's that movie.
0: <laughs>
1: that's, that's that. And that's that. Uh, the murders weren't quite as like memorable. I don't know how to say, I guess, than the first one. Although they did have a couple, which we'll go through when we go through the graveyard. The lines were great. Because the acting is so, like, over the top. And really, it's awful. The script. But the way he Uh delivers them is awesome. Like, naughty this. Okay. And. Yeah. So. What we'll do real quick is run through the graveyards. I'm going to fix this real fast. And Katie, since you saw the first movie, I will let you do that one. Okay.
0: So, obviously the first death was the teller at the gas station who was shot by the nameless evil Santa, who uh, then goes on to kill dad, who is Jim Chapman. And he's shot in the head by evil Santa through the car window. Number three is mom, who gets her sl- her throat slit. I almost said, I almost said throat her throat. Um, I can't speak today. You just heard me stumble through an hour, so you're good. <laughs> um, but yeah, she gets her throat slit and uh, dies in the middle of the road thanks to evil Santa. Then. uh... Andy Neal is strangled by the Christmas lights in the stockroom of Ira's Toys. This is where uh, Billy is older and 18. Pamela Vera is his is the uh, fifth death, and she is killed by Billy in the stockroom as well. He uh, he cuts her from the stomach up to the sternum with a box cutter. It's very um, Jack the Ripper. Yeah. I When I was watching that, I was like, oh, they're going to show the whole thing. Okay. They do, right? <laughs> they do. Uh, um so I yeah that caught me
1: off guard. Makes me cringe uh, a little bit. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Number 6 was Ira Sims, the owner of the store. He is uh he, he gets hit by the with the pointy part of the hammer uh thanks to Billy in the stockroom so he gets that piece lodged in his brain. Number 7 is um uh, Maria Randall who gets the arrow through the tre- uh, arrow through the chest. So I had two questions
1: Uh one aren't they toy arrows i would assume so they're in a toy store (laughs) because that thing went straight through her real quick and easy oh yeah two she ran to the door and then turned to the window like she was gonna break open the window with the axe why didn't she just go out the door um uh you know i wish i could answer that maybe
0: it was locked i have no idea but number eight is the babysitter Denise, who got slowly stabbed in the into the antlers, with uh, was mounted on the.
1: You're, yeah. What? You're, freaking out. Oh shit. Okay, I got home. we're so close it's always like right at the end
0: (laughs) I know are we okay right now
1: yeah go for it
0: Okay, so number 8 is the babysitter Denise who gets slowly um, punctured or um, impaled better impaled on the antlers that are mounted um, on the wall in her house
1: she she looks like an angel demon thing it's kind of cool bless you
0: Uh yeah she does it and her boyfriend's so dumb. The the next death, number 9 is the boyfriend who's thrown through the window and gets killed by the glass apparently. Um he's a dumb fuck anyway and can't see a dead body that's uh hanging in front of him to save his life. So. You know
1: the I think it's the producer he even goes on to be like, "Yeah, when we watched it, I was like, how stupid were we?" Because he definitely would have seen that. Um <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: number 10 is the Big bully asshole guy who gets decapitated while sledding down a hill because he stole sleds from um some kids. And I love that death. I think that death's fucking hilarious.
1: <laughs> it's great because the body keeps going and,
0: and it stays upright.
1: <laughs> and his friend is down at the bottom waiting for him. And then his head like comes rolling along afterwards.
0: And he's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, good times. I like that death. Number 11 was the uh, mistaken Santa, that is Father O'Brien, who gets shot two to three times in the back by the police officer. Number 12 is the uh, police officer that shoots the fake Santa. Um, he gets axed in the back by Billy at the orphanage. And then a poor snowman gets killed out of nowhere. Billy just takes this fucker out with a, with an axe in front of the orphanage.
1: Poor, poor Dick decapitated decapinated I don't know
0: you know decaffeinated it's fine
1: he was a decaffeinated decapitated snowman
0: (laughs) yeah and then uh, finally uh, the 14th death is Billy who gets shot in the back by police by the police captain in the orphanage
1: and that goes into graveyard for Silent Night Deadly Night 2 starts out with the the first person to die is the adopted dad Yeah, I think he died of, like, a heart attack or something. Um,
0: Natural causes of some sort.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then there's the sexual assault guy that got ran over by Ricky with his Jeep. Twice. Uh, Rocco, the loan shark, gets stabbed through with a broken umbrella in the restaurant alley. You would have appreciated that one, Katie. He picks up a miscellaneous closed umbrella, stabs it all the way through him, and then opens the umbrella. <laughs> You're uh, right. I would like that. <laughs> Lee Harry, director, said this was his favorite death in the film. It was originally supposed to be way more violent, uh, as was a lot of the movie, but they had to cut it out because the rating was going to be X instead of R, so it would have limited who they could, you know, view it to. Right. Next is the loudmouth guy in the theater. He is off screen. I don't know if he, like, chokes him out or what. He just, like, pulls him down behind the seats. That's all you see. Uh, Chip, the gross boyfriend, is electrocuted. Okay, I need you to go downstairs for like five more minutes. I'm almost done. Okay. Okay. Sorry, it's only because I'm talking about gross stuff. Five minutes. Five. Five. Uh, Chip gets electrocuted in the mouth by Ricky. Uh, He pulls his jumper cables, which are attached to Chip's car, sticks it in his mouth, and then he's getting electrocuted, and then his eyes explode. Lovely. It's it's pretty great. He strangles Jennifer. He... Oh, the cop that is, like I said, holding his gun really awkwardly. Yeah, with his wrist. Yeah. Yeah. So he walks up to Billy with the gun in his face. And Billy just, like, hits the gun and turns it and shoots him in the head. It's very Halloween Halloween Kills. kills. Yeah, where he, like, hits the gun with the door and is like, oh, shit, I guess that worked. Uh, That shit was
0: so funny. Yeah.
1: The neighbor who's taking out the trash, the garbage day quote guy, Mm -hmm. he gets shot in the chest through the trash can by Ricky. There was a single driver in the red car that got shot at and then exploded when it rolled. The psychiatrist gets strangled with the recording tape. We don't know or see any workers in the prisoner sanitarium if they die, but you do hear them fighting him. He strangles the Salvation Army volunteer with a phone booth cord. That sucks. And then takes his suit. Mother Superior gets decapitated. With an axe by Ricky and then posed for the police. It's one of those, um, oh, it's scare movie three where she's like, Are you okay? And then her head like falls off. Uh, it's like that, but she doesn't look, you know, noticeably dead. Yeah. <laughs> but that's basically what happens. Oh, all right. Uh, and then Ricky gets shot by the cops. Of course. And then I just remembered this is really random, but the. Santa suit that Billy wears in the first one is the same Santa suit that the murderer wears that kills his family. Hmm. But yeah, you would have liked some of those murders in the second one. Yeah. But I wouldn't recommend uh, watching the whole thing, to be honest.
0: That's okay, I wasn't planning on it.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I think if it wasn't 40 minutes recapping the original movie then they would have been able to put more time and effort into a script and a storyline yeah uh, but considering that their job was just to cut the original one and resell it the fact that they did what they did is impressive because um, right. you know they that wasn't their job I think my work phone was just ringing. Um, And then, just to wrap up this movie real quick, uh, we did mention that the first first film was done in Utah. And SetJetter.com is awesome because this guy goes to all the places where films were done and matches the scenes from the movie with common or like modern day pictures. So he'll take it from the exact same angle and he, he like goes in depth hunting down places so I don't want to steal any of the work that he did uh, so if you are interested in those kind of things or if you want to go to the places where these houses are at uh, I recommend going to that website looking at what he did it's great he puts the addresses and everything uh, but this film was done in Heber and Midway, Utah most of the places aren't around anymore but there are is a single stone left over from where the orphanage in the film was. Hmm. And the one thing that bothered me was that I couldn't tell if the church across the street from the orphanage was a church of Latter day Saints or not. Because I would expect that it is, but it doesn't look
0: I think it is. I wanna say because it, is, is it looks it? like it is. But
1: it, it doesn't look like all the ones in my neighborhood, but uh Right. Not to say that it wasn't. They don't show the name of it at all. Right. So, uh, my thoughts on this movie, it's basically a weird combination of, like, Catholic guilt and Santa lore. <laughs> yeah. The kills are good, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I think that's why it's a cult classic. It's... Yeah. And it's oddly, like, ahead of its time, I guess, in the amount of gore and nudity that it had yeah so Uh, as we've said even though the first one is questionable they decided to continue to make more Yeah. we did not watch any of them Uh, our listener only requested one and two and I'm glad that he did Uh, Silent Night Deadly Night 3 is called Better Watch Out, came out in 1989. It's a continuation of 1 and 2. Billy apparently was in a coma, they put a lot of money and effort into saving him for some reason, and there's, they add a character who's a clairvoyant, because why not? And then Silent Night Deadly Night 4 is called Initiation, came out in 1990 is called The Toymaker. came out in 1991. They are both standalone films. There's a fan-made film called Silent Night, Deadly Night 6, Santa's Watching, which came out in 2010. It's a continuation of the Billy and Ricky storyline. From what I've read, it's awful. But they appreciate that the fans went ahead and did that. There's also a movie called Silent Night that came out in 2012. It is not the 2021 film coming out this December, starring Keira Knightley, as I learned after I read a lot of it. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, It is described as a loose adaptation of the Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. It's kind of the unofficial sixth movie. It supposedly has true crime ties as having taken notes from the Covina holiday massacre that occurred in 2008. My cat is climbing in a box. I have no idea what that massacre is, and I didn't want to look it up just in case we end up doing this movie someday. Damn, cat. They have also announced a reboot. Uh, Orwo Studios and Blackhanger Studios, which did Jeepers Creepers Reborn. They have partnered with the original producers and are working on this new reboot which should be released in 2022. Hmm. why they keep making more i'm not sure i guess cult classic we're in a nostalgia era whatever so we've decided to add a little thing at the end of each movie uh, where we give movie recommendations if you liked this movie other movies we recommend you watch that are similar I personally couldn't think of any that matched. Do you? No, not with this one. Do you have any? Um, So because I can't think of any, I did go ahead and Google some. I haven't seen any of these. Uh, Looking at the titles, do you recognize any of them? Uh. No. Uh, So the first one is Christmas Evil came out in 1980. It's about a toy factory worker who mentally, who was mentally scarred as a child upon learning Santa Claus is not real. He suffers a nervous breakdown after being belittled at work and embarks on a Yuletide killing spree, directed by Lewis Jackson. The Burning, 1981. Caretaker at a summer camp is burned when a prank goes tragically wrong. After several years of intensive treatment at hospital, he is released back into society and... (laughs) Into society, and then he goes on a murderous spree. Uh, directed by Tony Malam, the fun. I think ha- I've
0: seen. I think I've seen the Fun House. I think I have. Uh, go ahead and read about it. Uh, it was made in nineteen eighty one. It's rebellious teens. Amy, uh, teen Amy defies her parents by going to a trashy carnival that has, uh, that's just pulled into town. Her and her boyfriend Buzz and their friend Liz and Richie they, uh, they all go thinking it would be fun, night, fun to spend the night in the, camp, in like the, the campy funhouse horror ride. The teens witness a murder by the deformed workers wearing a mask lock, and they get locked into the funhouse uh, where Amy and her friends must evade the murderous carnival workers and escape before their lives or before uh, it leaves town the next day. It is directed by Toby Hooper and yes I've totally seen that movie. And is, I have seen The Slumber Party Massacre, too.
1: Are they um, the same, like, awful but good? Yes. Qualification? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, as she said, Slumber Party Massacre, 1982. 18-year-old high school girls left at home by their parents decide to have a slumber party. Then there's a mass murder written and directed by women, which is rare. Uh, Amy Holden Jones is the director. And that is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, Thank you for the listener request. Yeah. Hopefully we went along with what you think. (laughs) Um, Again, we wouldn't deter anyone from watching any movie. Tell us what you think about it. Yeah. And, yeah. You can send us more movie requests to our Instagram at
0: horror underscore cats underscore witch hats.
1: We have a Gmail which you can send us stuff to at
0: horror cats witch hats at gmail.com. It's, it's all one word.
1: We also have a Facebook which is the same as our Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, our next movie is
0: Black Christmas. I forgot the title for it. second. <laughs>
1: Uh, we're going to attempt to watch all of them I guess there may or may not be three
0: yeah um, Th- there's there's a couple of different ones and we'll have to figure out how we want to do it
1: <laughs> that one will come out roughly December 11th ish <laughs> our timelines are all in ishes and we're- yes
0: always we're always al- have to be in ishes
1: We are almost to our one-year anniversary of Horror Cats and Witch Hats. So we're very excited. We have a fun episode coming out for our one-year anniversary. Um, Yes. We might need a listener to participate in that episode. But we don't want to give anything away. So if you think that you would be comfortable dedicating two to three hours uh over like zoom or discord send us an email and we may get you some more details and you can decide if you'd like to participate or not i'd love to have a listener but again i don't want to give away too many details because we kind of want it to be a surprise so yeah hit us up if that sounds like something you'd like to do and that's all
0: Woo! thanks for listening
1: Meow. Majestic. Meow, meow. Majestic tiger says what?
0: No, wait. Meow. Majestic tiger. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what a majestic tiger says.
0: I'm pretty sure it says meow. Rawr. Er. <laughs> 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 Grr. Grr. Arr.